0: Imagine you've been hit with some tough news about your child, partner, your loved one that required you to take some time off work. Imagine being able to do that without the financial worries. You will hear the details about this story and more. So don't you move on to another podcast, not until you finish this episode, at least. You did it. You have found your judgment free zone. The Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hempel, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today and now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola Reina, how is it going? Soy Jen Hemphill, I am your host. If you didn't know, I've got a fantastic guest for you today with such an amazing story. I really am so grateful. And I feel so blessed with this podcast because I get to talk to some really inspiring women like you. I know you and I have not met. So let me tell you a little bit about Saireni's peers. She is a millennial Latina from San Diego with a background in financial planning. And as a stay-at-home mother and entrepreneur, she uses her platform to help women handle their finances and lifestyle with poise. In today's episode, you're going to learn the exact financial advice she heard over and over again growing up, as well as what exactly led to her frustration as she graduated high school and studying finance. Then also the discovery she made at a pivotal moment in her family's life that involved open heart surgery, which I already did the spoiler alert a little bit, no income, and a death. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Sairenis. I am so thrilled to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. So get
0: right into it. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Now let's start off with your money story. Uh, People love hearing um, my guest's money story. So take us back to when you were a little girl or even a teen, but when you were growing up, cuando eres, uh, fuiste chiquita, what did you see? What did you hear, experience when it came to money?
1: Well, one thing I did know when I was younger was that my dad was in real estate and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And being Latina and from the Dominican Republic, one of the main investments that all of our grandparents always told my parents was invest. It's kind of like if you've heard that Cardi B interview when she said, why don't you get a little bit of money? A little bit of American money. The first thing all your Dominican relatives tell you is "invierta, comparte un condominio," and it was just so hilarious because I was like, "Oh my god, that is so true! Like that's exactly what they tell you to do: is to invest in real estate." So what I realized was that was pretty much my dad's game plan for like our plan B. If we ever hit hard times, we would just sell one of our houses that we had here in California. Which you know, in California, the real estate market's always been really good. But the problem was that I've realized as I got older was that every time the economy was doing good, we were doing good. We were flourishing. My dad was selling houses. It was a really good time. My mom, you know, she devoted herself to us and really helping us um, progress in life and getting us into good schools. But every time there was some type of hiccup in the economy, either a correction or a recession, whatever you want to call it, we would hit rock bottom. We would lose everything. All the plan B's that my dad was thinking about always failed. It never worked. And it just really frustrated me, you know, to lose everything. And I didn't realize what was going on when I was younger. But as I got older and we went through the 08 recession, I started becoming more knowledgeable that, you know, the what we were planning, what we were doing, wasn't really preparing us for this situation. And I think I got very frustrated because this recession it was a housing recession, so it affected my dad's industry the hardest. And then my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so that didn't really help bring any income in the household, especially when the bills are really expensive. And it just really hurt me mentally seeing how hard you know my parents worked as immigrants. They came from nothing, from Dominican Republic, and seeing how hard they worked to build their little mini empire. And it just go to nothing, to the ground, like nothing even happened. And it consequently, we lost our home. My parents ended up divorcing. And I think one of the scariest moments for me that a lot of people don't realize is that since 2007, I would say, my parents were already feeling the recession happening in the housing situation around that time, all the way until I was 21. So from 18 to 21, I was literally living in fear all the time. You know, we were always scared about if the sheriffs were going to come and take the evictus out of the house. I was always scared to even borrow my parents car to even learn how to drive because if they didn't get the payments we we're going to get the car repossessed or something like that. I was always terrified and I was like, "Oh, it's going to be my fault. By the car gets repossessed because I was too tonta that to even realize that they were like following me, you know? So, it always stuck with me the fear of losing everything and how embarrassing it was, you know, to, For my neighbor to pick me up from college and tell me, oh, you know, the sheriff's came, you guys are going to stay in our house and you can't go back into your own house. And it frustrated me so much because, you know, we think about our home, we have everything in there. We have our clothes, our pictures, our memories, our bed, almost like our entire life is in our house. And for you to be told as a teenager, you know, you can't go in your house or you'll get arrested. You know, it really brings a perspective of how important your home is. And that's something that even me as an adult, I still remember to this day. And I was like, those are the things that I wanna protect the most because I don't want that to happen again. Not even just for my kids, but even just for myself because I remember how it felt to not have any stability during these hard times. And it really does hurt you because you love your parents and you don't wanna see them divorcing over finances and arguing over stuff like that. And then you look at your relationship and you're like, I don't want to divorce my husband because of financial situations either. And I know how popular that is. I think um, I knew a lot of Dominicans that live here in San Diego. It's not a lot. (laughs) I'll say that. Very few Latinos that live here in San Diego that are like Dominican and Puerto Rican and all that. But I realized that almost all of them divorced. And I know that they say it was like a 50% of divorces happened around that time. But to me, I was like, every relationship I saw that were like a power couples were divorcing. And separating, and their kids were getting affected by this. So, to me, it hit a little harder because I didn't see that 50 50 split. I just saw 100% or 95% at this point. And as a young woman, you know, that really messes with you a little bit psychologically.
0: Especially at that age where you're pretty much, because you, you were in college. And so, you're basically, right? You said in college. I was graduating high school, but
1: yes, I, right after high school, I went straight to community college where, you know, that's what I was advised because of the situation that was going on. They're like, don't waste money by going to a big university right away, go to community college. It worked out and it was up the street from my house and, you know, it, it allowed the situation to breathe a little easier. But um, yeah, like you said, it's hard at that young age. You're starting to get into adulthood and you're starting to realize what adulthood really looks like, because before then it was just make believe. You know, we were traveling. My parents bought me whatever I wanted. I was almost—I felt like an, a spoiled American <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I have family in the DR and they're just like, must be nice to be American. You know, so many opportunities, and and I'm living it. I'm like, yeah, it is really nice. You know, compared to over there. And then this happens, and you're like, "It's not what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be easier. I thought it was going to be funner and more liberating. And it's actually scarier. So it was it was a difficult transition into adulthood, I would say for sure.
0: I can imagine. So one thing that you said that really uh, stuck out to me was that you were told, or what you heard time and time again, was invest in that American money, not money. Invest your money but invest in that American money. I find that so interesting. I, I'm not finding it surprising just because of my experience growing up in Colombia and with a, an American father, the gringo was, he supposedly had the money, right? Follow the money. And uh, that wasn't the truth, but I just find that interesting. Invest in the American money, that, that, that stuck out to me. And, but when they were mentioning investing, it was tied to real estate is what I'm hearing too. And I'm wondering too, because I hear that with a lot of Latinos and the the Latino communities, when it comes to investing, real estate is a big portion of what, I don't, I don't know why, why that has come to be or what leads to that. But have you noticed that too, that in the Latino community, when we, and things I'm sure is shifting and changing, but when it comes to investing, it's equates real estate. It does. And I've been like kind of researching it and like studying it in the Dominican culture.
1: And what I realized is they don't really have a lot of investment opportunities. They don't have the stock market. They don't have like a banking system where you can lend money like that. You can't go to school like that because it's really difficult to get student loans and things of that nature. So the two main ways that I've seen the family members and people that I know that are successful in these third world countries are real estate and owning a business. And those have been the only two ways. I haven't seen any other type of investment strategy that has worked for them. So I get when my dad came to America, he doesn't know any English. He tried the military route. That was very difficult, you know, because he doesn't speak English. I get why he went towards real estate. It made logical sense, you know, and when he found opportunity to invest in real estate in California, which is, again, a gold mine, pretty much, supposedly, I see why it was so intriguing to him. And I saw how they did it. And a lot of the other successful Latinos that we know in this community here in San Diego, they do the same thing. They invest in the poorer areas and it's something that they can afford. You know, they become landlords and it's a a way of status, you know, when it comes to investing. I am investing in my money, you know, I'm thinking about my future and this is my plan B. But what happens when you put all your eggs in one basket? Because if your career is in real estate, and your plan B is real estate. you're kind of stuck. Right. And right. that was one thing that I realized a lot, especially even in the Dominican Republic.
0: Yeah, and I love that you brought that realization just because I was brought up. I was born in Colombia, but my dad's American. so I investing in real estate was talked about, right? Not so much the entrepreneurship of just because of the failed businesses that they have. but I think on my dad, because of my dad being American, the other part was retirement, investing in a 401k or having a pension plan and all that stuff. So it's interesting. So I'm glad that you, you shared that uh, because yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense thinking through our Latino community here in the U S one, how they are investing in real estate and two, why such a big percentage of Latinos are in business for themselves. So that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense. Now, last Let's fast forward to, well, we talked about 2008 and what happened and how you were impacted. But let's fast forward to uh, later on, and I'm not sure what year, so you'll tell me what year, where you came across, you had came across some hard times with your family uh, and financially. So share with us about that time, what happened, what was going on, and what resulted as, during that time. So I want to take it back a little bit farther before
1: I hit the hard times, because I guess it's a little bit more of a pretext of what really happened in my mindset. So because of what happened in 08, I was so frustrated with that situation. I actually changed my major in college from pharmacy to finance. And luckily, in my school that year, I was um, my last year was pretty much trying to get an emphasis. They had a new program about financial planning. So to me, that was like that aha moment. I'm finally gonna figure out how to balance my income and diversify my portfolios and diversify my income. I'm finally going to figure out what to do, you know? And when I got into my career, I worked at Merrill Lynch, MetLife, Ameriprise, a lot of these big financial institutions where they specifically focus on financial planning. And I told my husband, you know, we need to start preparing ourselves financially. We weren't even married at this point. We were just engaged or dating, And I told them, like, we need to start thinking about our finances, our debt, and really getting, you know, a handle on where we want to be financially because of the industry that I'm in. I can't file bankruptcy. So I can't be as risky as my parents were, where they would lose everything after every recession. And that kind of opened the conversation for us to becoming student loan debt free before we even got married. And we started transitioning in a very we were moving fast upwards. You know, we were paying off our debt we cash flowed our wedding, we started saving our emergency fund and even starting a business and having kids and it was everything was just going almost perfectly. I was even able to postpone my career in financial planning and, you know, have my kids back to back because I was studying for my Series 7 and all these financial prerequisites and I realized, okay, now I have a little bit of leeway. I can actually live the lifestyle I actually want while I'm raising my kids because of Paying off our student loans. We had three months of emergency fund. We were positioning ourselves to succeed in life in general. But one thing that I didn't realize and I kind of forgot while I was going up this upward motion was that there could be a lot of hard (laughs) situations that come up, you know? And that's what happened when I was pregnant with my second son. He was actually diagnosed with a heart defect. He has tetralogy of flow. And they pretty much told me, you know, I have two options. I could either get an abortion in the next five days because I was already five months pregnant or just brace myself for the reality that he would most likely need open heart surgery either right after he was born or six to 12 months later, but he will need open heart surgery regardless of the fact. And one of the things that, you know, obviously hearing that is an emotional feeling, especially when you're pregnant. Yeah. When you're pregnant, your emotions are like on like they're like on another cloud. I swear it's like insanity. But then, you know, you my husband, and I was like, you know, we talked to the cardiologist. He said, this is something that we can work through is I believe that your son will survive the surgery. He will need most likely two surgeries, but it's doable. Don't do the abortion. You know, like you don't have to do that. We're not at that point. So my husband and I were like, we're not going to do that. We're going to have the baby and this God has prepared us for this. And right away, my husband and I, we kind of went just as a defense mechanism towards all of this, because again, it's very emotional. We kind of went a little bit more financial with it. So right away, my husband started doubling down on hours, working extremely hard. And I started doing all the math and the budgeting of how much is this surgery going to cost? you know, who's going to take care of our other daughter right now? What's the reality going to look like? How can I plan the best situation that I can do? Because I know the rest of it is on God's hands. I can't plan everything, but what can I control? And the crazy part was a few days after we found out that he had a heart defect, my husband got a project that actually paid the exact amount of money that we needed for his heart surgery. So my husband and I was like, are you kidding me right now? That is insane. It's like uh, God was kind of like showing us, I have your back. Don't worry. I know it's a difficult situation. I'm putting you in. I'm testing you, but I want to show you that I have your back. So the first thing I told my husband was, I don't care what happens. This money was given to us for a real purpose. It was specifically the same amount of money that we need for our son's surgery. That's not a coincidence. So I told my husband. We need to put this in a separate savings account. This money is for our son's surgery and nothing else. We have our emergency fund. If things go bad, you know, work-wise or if we're hospitalized or our cars break down, we have that money there. That's fine. But this money was sent to us for a real purpose. And, you know, a lot of times we think that we know the solution right away and we don't
0: know how more difficult this is. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you.
1: Solution can get, you know, as times go by. So, when it came down to my son's surgery, six months later, thankfully, he didn't have to have surgery right after birth. My father in law was actually really ill. And what happened was, the month that my son was supposed to have surgery, the beginning of the month, he actually got a cold. And they told us, oh, you can't have surgeries on babies, you know, hope and heart surgery if the baby's sick. So we're going to postpone the surgery for two weeks out. Hopefully he feels better. And then we'll do this, carry on with the surgery. I'll be like, okay, that makes sense. Well, actually my father-in-law passed away a week before my son's surgery. So my husband went out there the first week of the month to Alabama, to be there with his mom and his dad, to, you know, just console them and be there where he really needs to be. But right when he came back from his trip, his dad passed away. And then he had to go back to Alabama, which, you know, from San Diego to Alabama, it's it's a far trip. It's expensive. It's not work close by. And be there for his father. And it really hurt me that we couldn't be there with him during this hard time. Because uh, my son was like on a no-fly situation because of the heart problem, and the thing that was kind of weird was right when he came back from his dad's um, funeral, we were transitioning to LA for my son's surgery right away. it was back to back situations that were happening to us, and it was about two weeks that he had after the surgery to recover at the hospital. Everything went great, but you know it's it's not fun being in those situations and seeing other family members going through very similar situations. And one thing that I realized when I was talking to other parents, because again, when you're going through this heart (laughs) situation with your son and there's other parents there that are, they need a little consoling as well. They start naturally talking to you, you know? And what we figured out, what we started learning was that a lot of families were doing really bad financially. You know, they were sleeping in their cars They weren't accepted to the Ronald McDonald House. They lost their jobs. They didn't have any food. So they were getting, luckily they have a program at the Ronald McDonald House where they receive like donated food. So it's really hard to see, you know, their families with their little kids just eating like free cereal and whatever they can just to make ends meet, to be there um, emotionally for their families. And you're seeing them struggle financially at the same time. You're just like, that's a lot of stress. You
0: know, that's a lot. Yes, especially when you're dealing with something so emotional and hard to have that on top of that.
1: Yes, that's why my husband, every time he sees like a Ronald McDonald house for donations, he gives because he knows how much they work to really try the best they can to just help the families as much as possible. And again, those situations are so delicate. And one thing I realized as Latina and my husband being Black, we noticed, you know, this Situation would crumble any family because my husband had a death in the family. Our son's in the hospital getting open heart surgery. And at the same time, my husband has his own business. So if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid. So that was an entire month of lost income. So all of that together, it really devastates you mentally and financially. And we realized wow, for the first time in our lives, I would say money is not a problem right now. That was very, I don't know, it was really a weird coincidence that we realized we weren't worried about money because we prepared so well ahead of time for the finances by, you know, being very purposeful with saving for our emergency fund, paying up our bills for the for the upcoming month, for having the money for our son's surgery, that it made it super easy to not even worry about the money and really focus on the emotional and the situation at hand. and. Once we got home and my son was playing as if he didn't even have open heart surgery, it was insane. I was like, if it was me, I would have been a drama queen for real. <laughs> Just lay in the bed. Like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> but, you know, you see how well they, you know, they go they're after resilient. the surgery. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. so resilient. And I told my husband I had a gut feeling. I'm like, honey, you know what? We need to share. The strategy that we used to get past all of this. Because a lot of people that were in that situation, that were in the waiting room with us, you know, they probably would have benefited a lot from just banking the way we did, organizing their finances with purpose so that when life does hit them, because, you know, life has hit us as well, they can manage this situation a little bit clearer, a little bit more with poise. I would like to say that's kind of why I named my brand Poise because you know, it's really hard to balance the financial stuff with the hard situations that life throws at us sometimes. So those two things kind of moved me to create the high fi banking method. And it just has blown up. And I'm super excited about it. Because, again, it came from a situation that I didn't like, I didn't, you know, expect, I, I wouldn't prey on anyone to have that type of situation. But we learned a lot during that situation. And all of our past experiences kind of just tumbled into it. One little explanation that, I don't know, it just worked.
0: (laughs) I love that. And basically, just real briefly, explain to us the high five banking method.
1: Yes. So the high five banking method is composed of five accounts to help you organize your finances with purpose. I know a lot of times people try to force all of their money into one checking account and one savings account, but that situation just does not lead to success in many ways. So instead, we separate each account with a specific purpose. So you start off with two checking accounts, one account specifically for your bills, and one specifically for your lifestyle expenses. After that, you go into the three savings accounts, one for your emergency fund, because everyone needs an emergency fund, one account for your long-term goals, and one for your short-term goals.
0: I love how simple that is, because when we connected originally, I'm like, yeah, I do, I do something similar. I, I just call it the virtual envelope method. But yours, I love the name, it's definitely a sexier name than the, what I put and then how simple you just made it because I create like, I am big on having money set aside, like you say, for a purpose, because when you're intentional, it makes life so much easier. And once we shifted to doing something similar to what you, you all do, it made managing the money so much easier because you can visually see what's going on. Versus having everything in one account that's supposed to be for bills and then you accidentally overspend on eating out and all of a sudden in the money that was supposed to be for bills is not there anymore because it's hard to keep track of. I mean, tracking the what we think of tracking of keeping a receipt and writing it in a notebook and subtracting. I like to keep things simple and the less math and thinking I have to do, and not that I'm lazy, I just like to be efficient, <laughs> the better. And I think I love your, your banking system because it does allows you to, it's basically a system to manage your money. Uh, so I, I love that you're sharing that and that you're talking about it and then you've had so much success in talking about it because keeping it simple is, is what we need to do because if we're not consistent. It's not going to do us any good. And one thing that I
1: noticed when you're going through hard times, the last thing you want to do is look at a budget, a spreadsheet, an app, your bank accounts. That is the last thing that you want to do. Honestly, you want to feel confident that you know where your money's at and you know what the purpose of that money is for. You go straight to the hospital. You know that you have the money to pay to cover that bill. You go buy food. Whatever you're doing, you want to feel financially confident. And I feel like a lot of people in our community, we've been programmed to use that one checking account, that one savings account, and it lowers our financial confidence because we're not sure how much money we have available to spend on the things that we want or need to buy. So I could see that, you know, and it, it made it so much easier, especially again, sorry for going back into um, the hospital situation, but you're good. it put it into perspective. The day we had to internar my niño in the hospital because they ask you for the money up front. That's something that people don't realize. They're asking you for the the money for the first day of the hospital bill. And for a lot of people who, you know, they're not prepared for that, it can catch them off guard and they have to go check their bank accounts, do a budget, or just put it on their credit card and not really know if they have the money for it. It felt really good saying, I know I have the money, take the money, take care of my baby. You know what I mean? Money's not an issue. So again, I know that that my situation is more dramatic than a lot of other people's. Unfortunately, I wish it wasn't again, but it just really puts the emphasis on how important it is to have everything organized and simple in a way that you feel confident and comfortable saying, I'm not worried about money right now. Just give me the services that I need. You know, again, when it comes to food or anything that's important, you know, you have the money for it in your bills account and you're not stressed over it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And to your point about not wanting to look at a budget, like how I see it with how you do your money and how we do our money and how I teach as well and how you teach is that your budget is the tool. That's where that's your plan, right? Yeah, plan. And the banking method that you do and the virtual envelope method that I do is implementing, putting that plan into action, right? That's what we're doing. And so doing a budget by itself unless you implement it. And the way you implement it is through these different, whether a cash envelope system or bank accounts, that's how you implement it. And and it's important people think, well, I'll just do a budget. I'm good. No, (laughs) you've got to put that budget into action. And this is a way that you can do so. So I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. Because again, people think that it's just budgeting.
1: That is a piece of the puzzle. I agree. You have to budget. And the thing that I love about you know, the high five banking method in your method as well, is that it secretly forces you to budget, especially if you're not used to it, because a lot of people, they don't budget. That's the reality. Most people don't budget. So this method actually, it sneaks in there, you know, the budgeting necessities that you didn't really think about. So that's what I also like about it as well. It's like a trick, almost a magic trick.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Love it. So you've already touched upon this and to wrap it up, what are some, some of the biggest lessons that you took away from your, with your finances? So you, and with your experiences in the 2008 recession and with the experience, the health experiences you had with your son and your father-in-law. So what would you say were the biggest?
1: I would say being ahead of your bills and staying organized. That's something that we've been doing as like pockets of like little hacks for our emergency fund. Because I think, especially during this situation that we're going through right now with the coronavirus, I just, it all ties in so 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 neatly, unfortunately it does because you start realizing how important it is to be ahead of your bills, to be ahead of the things that stress you out. And I know a lot, a lot of people right now, rent is a very stressful thing for them. Not having enough money saved is very stressful overspending on groceries and everything is extremely stressful and just having a good game plan as a family I think is one of the most important things that I've learned in the 08 recession and in this situation that we're in and all the other situations I've gone through as well is having a financial game plan and I call it a SOP a standard operating procedure I you know just it. just because again I think that if during the 08 recession if my parents would have probably sat us down and told us, this is the game plan. These are the ways that we're gonna be modifying and moving as a family to make sure that we can stay ahead of our finances and afloat as a family. I feel like that would have been more securing as a child and as for my mother and for any family, just to be a unit and to feel like you're actually part of a team and not just being dragged around the the board or the the chessboard. So to me, that's really important to have a game plan as a family. And the simplest ways to feel more confident about that is by getting ahead on your bills, getting ahead on your emergency fund, not postponing this conversation as well. So those are the things that I feel are most important.
0: Love it. Now, we are going through some unprecedented times. And being that you lived through 2008, had some very difficult times. In 2008, and granted, I don't want to compare and say this is the same because it's not. But I am, and we don't even know what's what's to come. Right? It's not even over. We don't know what impact and effects and all the trickle down effects that this is going to have on the on the economy. We just know we got to brace ourselves, right? But just based on your experience and the the experience that you had in 2008. What do you feel like we can soak into what's happening to today's economy?
1: I think we need to realize that the 08 recession was more of a housing and financial asset type of drainage in a lot of our families. A lot of people lost a lot of wealth. That probably, you know, that's one of the things that happened during the 08 recession. But when we look at the coronavirus and the new recession potentially that's happening at the moment... But well, people have to realize that this is a mixture of asset loss and also a health and life loss. You know, a lot of people are losing family members. They are alone at the hospital. We're a lot of young people that they're thinking that, oh, this doesn't affect me. I'll just be sick for a little bit. No, it's a really bad sickness, even if you recover from it. So again, it's not just a asset loss. It's also a life loss. So it's a mixture of two that really ties Ties this to be a different situation, a different animal that we haven't really prepared for. And again, it's very difficult because people are at home, they're quarantined, uh, going to buy, ba- doing basic things are very difficult, like buying groceries at the grocery store, going out is difficult. A lot of depression could be happening around this moment and a lot of people aren't sure of it or realizing it because you're not physically seeing people. So, you know, oh eight, a lot of depression happened because of loss of assets. But this is a different type of depression. This is as- losing assets and losing lives at the same time. It's very hard to say, Oh, I lost my grandmother and I lost my house, you know, or, and my job. And you can't move. You have to stay there. Another dynamic. <laughs> yes, it's very different. So I think just being aware to not compare it to the 08 and just be like, This is a new animal. And just mentally letting, your, letting that sink in probably will help a lot of people just how to maneuver financially and as a family.
0: Love it. Well, this has been amazing. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate everything that you do for representing Latinas like you do. We need more of you in the financial space. So if you're listening, if finances interest you and you have a message to say, hey, we need you. We need more representation of Latinas. So thank you so much for sharing your story and all the insight and wisdom with us today. ¿Qué te pareció? Super, super chévere, ¿no? I really hope that you enjoyed this chat with Saire as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. You can connect with her at thepoisedlifestyle.com and her Instagram, Poised Finance Lifestyle. I'll be sure to have those links in today's show notes. If you're the type of person who has all the best intentions when it comes to your money and you're finding yourself I'll get to it tomorrow. Then tomorrow comes and you'll say, eh, I'm not feeling like it. I'll really just will wait till tomorrow, or I'll just wait till the weekend. And before you know it, you are finding yourself saying the same thing over and over again. If you are this person, send me an email at jen at com. I am having a special virtual experience for you where we come together and I facilitate a course of action. So you're not procrastinating anymore. Plus, you will have a partner where you can have private discussions, cheer each other on, discuss challenges and so forth. So this will be a group experience where we get together. I teach you. I tell you this is what you need to do. And in our time together, you're going to do this. I'm not just going to send you off with the things to do and then you'll procrastinate again. I mean, hello, we're human. I do that, too but you will be able to take that action in our time together. You'll be able to connect with your partner, a like-minded mujer. You'll be able to ask questions from me and of the group, and it'll be fun. It'll be empowering. Send me a message at jen at jenhemphill.com for the details and to make sure that the slots are still open. Next week, we have our monthly Reina panel where we will discuss changes that these mujeres have made in their lives that made managing money and dinero more simple. So that is it. Eso es todo. I really appreciate you being here. I know you have a ton of podcasts to choose from. So it means a lot that you're listening to this one. Be sure to check out the show notes at jenhemphill.com forward slash 215. And remember, flame your reina crown. You don't have to wait. You can do it right now. You can say, I am the reina of my money because the choice is in your hands and becoming the reina of your money, again, can start now because you've got this. I believe in you. Tú puedes. I'm sending you abrazos through this mic. So please receive it. Don't leave me hanging. And also share with us when you listen to this episode by taking a screenshot or a selfie and tag us in your Instagram stories with at matters. Or the hashtag her matters. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I'll talk to you next Thursday. Chao.